I'm very excited about Susan's talk tonight on the transforming power of stories and a wee bit of C.S. Lewis thrown in there as well because stories are what Jesus used so many times, are they not? And I love this story. And I love this story for 20, 25, 30 years and then got the last bit of the story that I'd left out. The older brother. Now that's another story. And really, really fascinating. Now, let me not have the ego to think that you remember that I did this parable over two Sundays last year and a whole one of those on the older sub. You're remembering, aren't you? No, I didn't remember either. I had to look through the archives to find that myself. But let's delve into not the story of the prodigal son because that is part of it. And that's the part we're aware of, and that's the part we've cut up, almost ending it. I suppose, really, the swing in this parable is where Michael got to that bit where we've celebrated, and then verse 25, meanwhile, the elder son, now wait a minute, the sheep and the coin had no elder coin or elder sheep. That's where they finished. They finished with the celebration. They finished with the rejoicing. So what's Jesus doing here in this part of the story? It's like We've used it as a tag-on because the prodigal son is a great sermon to preach if you're an evangelist. It's a great sermon to preach for those out there who can come and find this welcome of God. And I've preached that, and I will preach that, and I enjoy preaching that. But this other story, this other part of the story at the end, changes the whole sense of this. It starts in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. Though we call it the prodigal son and the lost son, and that makes sense in that it comes in the trilogy of coin and sheep, there's something else about this. This is not the parable of a lost son so much as a parable of a father who has two sons. And we're going to look at the other son. There are differences in this parable that become obvious. First of all, and we might come back to this, That which is lost in this parable is not sought after. Kids didn't meet at the front. Rory didn't say, there's a son out there lost. He's thrown away. All that his father gave him, go out and find him. Nobody's looking for this son. The finding is not as economically beneficial as the other two. In fact, it might be costly. All that money has been wasted already. And now we're bringing the guy who took the inheritance and wasted it and we're bringing him back and we're making him a son again. There's implications to that economically that there wasn't in the coin and the sheep which were beneficial to the finder. And of course, lastly, there is this brother. This brother. And of course, every reading of Scripture is skewed a little bit by how we read it, where we read it, when we read it, what's going on around us when we read it, what the theology of the day is when we read it, and what our prejudices are as we read it. Never think that we just come to a text and there's that text without all those things. We've got to sever way or dig our way through all that encrusting before we can come to find out what that text might actually mean. So why is the younger brother the one that we concentrate on here? Is it because that is actually 
the easier part of the story. Makes us all feel that we'll be loved and makes us feel that nobody's really lost and it concentrates on this grace of God. Why have we not, for many and many a year, concentrated on the other side of the story? You're aware that most weeks, something I read in Twitter or Facebook appears into the sermon. This week's the best week of all. Because this week, the two things I'm going to read from Facebook are about this sermon to be preached this morning. I just happened to put up yesterday what we're doing in Fitzroy. And this morning when I woke up and I started to look at what we were doing this morning and I then glanced at Facebook, there they were. Two commentaries on what we were doing this very morning on Facebook. Randy Kirkman, who was here playing guitar with his wife, Becky Hemingway, just a couple or three weeks ago. You remember the forgiveness waltz? He comments, wish we could be there. I always identified with that brother. I always identified with that brother. Interesting. Or Bara, I can't pronounce his name. Barry Irwin he is, but he's called um, now Barra O. Irwin. Would that be nearly right, or dear knows what it is, Marcus? Barra, another friend, comes in and says, always had a sneaking sense of injustice for the dutiful son. All credit to forgiveness, mercy, and such. Also, struggle with those Johnny-come-latelys getting the same money as the boys who had toiled all day in that other parable. This Christianity is far from being open and shut. Always had a sneaking sense of injustice for the dutiful son. So as we come to this story, let's get it in its context. Michael started reading from verses 1 and 2, and those are important. Luke's gospel is constantly interested in the lost. Jesus is always involved with the lost. And as he reaches to the lost, and as he speaks to the lost, and as he befriends the lost, the Pharisees and the religious are not happy that he's out there looking for the lost. So in the first couple of verses of chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around near Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now there's two things there. First of all, they probably weren't comfortable that these people were gathering around with them. Because they were, maybe I don't know whether they were making them unclean or not, but they were making them uncomfortable. So here was these religious holy kinds of people and suddenly they're mixing with people that they don't ordinarily mix with and it's this guy's fault that they're mixing with them. But beyond that, he's actually eating with them and befriending them and welcoming them in ways that he really shouldn't be doing. So the parables are told in that context. They're told about this comment of the Pharisees. And so at the end of the chapter, we find Jesus coming back to the first verses. Because when we get to verse 25, meanwhile the elder son was in the field, here is where he's turning it away from the lost to the religious that were complaining that he was among the lost. But first up, let's sympathize. And let's even sympathize with the Pharisees. We're always hard on the Pharisees. I'm particularly hard on the Pharisees. I don't want any Pharisees around me. And yet, yet, They'd been doing all this stuff to try and be holy, to try and keep themselves clean, and to try and keep themselves before God in the right place, in the right ways. 
They'd been working hard at that. They'd been thinking through their theology. They'd been thinking through the rules of the Old Testament and how they could fix those rules and make those rules applicable so that people might be protected from the sinfulness of the world around them. We need to have some sympathy with the Pharisees and indeed this older son. Because there he has been, faithful all these years, out there in the fields doing the work, loyal to his father, not asking his father for an inheritance that he can run off and, as he says about the younger son, can waste it all in prostitutes. This is a man who we would be voting as an elder. We might even put him up for election as an MLA. This is a man who is upright and we should have some sympathy with him. And here's why we should have sympathy with him. The gospel that clashes into his world at this moment in time and the gospel that was clashing into the world of the Pharisees at this moment in time is a gospel that's really hard to come to terms with. If we're not a bit like Randy Kirkman who says, I identify with that older brother, or Barra who says, there's a serious amount of injustice going on here, then I'm not sure that we've grasped the height and breadth and depth of this gospel. Do you know I say endlessly about the radical and revolutionary gospel? That's what this son's up against. Here he is. He's doing everything well. He's almost a holy son. And we have sinner son. We have hedonistic son. We have money-wasting son. And he's going to get the same as me. This is indeed a Christianity that is far from open and shut as Barra says. This is hard for the world to grasp. And if we don't find it hard to grasp, I wonder if we lost something of its potency, its power, and its upside downness. We probably, because of years of hearing the story, kind of think the prodigal son's a, he's a nice kind of wee guy, just got it all. He was needing some serious judgment. And he got love. This changes the way it is. And the Pharisees and in the story of the older brother are face to face with this and they're grappling with it in some problems and struggle with the injustice of it all. It is a night, it's a scandalous idea. So let's look within ourselves this morning at where we might be coming, struggling to come to terms with the mad wonder of the grace of prodigals. Where might we be struggling to come to terms with the wonder of grace towards prodigals? Where is the older son within us this morning, here in Fitzroy? I was going to say good Presbyterians, but let's face it, not many of you ever were, so um, good Christian folk following Jesus coming to this particular church on a Sunday morning. Where is the older son or daughter within us? Last year's sermon, just to remind you and me, because I'd forgotten, I looked a lot at what Timothy Keller has said about this particular parable. And a couple of things to remind you of from that sermon that I know we talked about, or some of us talked about, certainly after it. Keller says, I had met so many younger brothers who had been hurt and offended by the elder brothers that neither I nor they were sure that they believed the Christian faith or not. 
I had met so many younger brothers, so many prodigals, so many lost, who had been so hurt and offended by these elder brothers who were so right and holy and upright and standing in the community that neither I nor the younger brothers were sure that they believed the Christian faith or not. So as well as having sympathy with the older brother, as well as having sympathy with the Pharisees because they're clashing with this new way, once we grasp this new way, once we start to live this Jesus way, once we start to live this amazing and scandalous grace, then we have to be those who see the younger brother as the father sees the younger brother and not see the younger brother as the older brother sees the younger brother. And many of us have been hurt in churches and Christian communities where we've been treated as the older brother treated the younger one in this story. And we need to be aware and we need to refrain and repent and be cleansed from those older brother traits. Keller goes on, if our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we would like to think. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we would like to think. In presbytery, we are looking at our presbytery, 19 churches, of which we're pretty confident three of them, you'll be glad to know yourselves, include it, might survive 10 years out of 19. Now, I want to ask a question to Presbyterianism. I want to ask them to apply what Keller challenges us with here. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we would like to think. That might not be the only reason. There's sociological things, there's cultural things, there's all kinds of other things. But this is a serious one. Does the younger brother feel they can come home and be welcomed? Are there people on the streets of this city who the last place they would go this morning to get a welcome and a warm welcome and love would be the church because they would feel they might be condemned? They might feel they would be left out. They might feel they would be despised if they wear tattoos or if they have a little bit of alcohol on them or if they don't come from the right BT address. It's even possible in Fitzroy. It's maybe possible in most of our churches. What were the older son's problems? Well, there's a couple that I pull out, and these are a little contrived, I think. I'm always scared when you're dealing with scriptures and trying to unpack scriptures that you stay to the text and what Jesus meant. And maybe I'm looking at some other stuff that Jesus didn't particularly mean here, but it might be applicable. Maybe the Pharisees were a little like this. They were a little closeted. They were a little caught up in a holy huddle. Back to the first few verses. They were mixing with the younger brother. They were mixing with the sinners. They were mixing with tax collectors and prostitutes. And there might have been a few lepers that had been healed in there that had been cast out of the town or whatever else. And they'd been so closeted in their pharisaical holiness in their cleanliness that they hadn't mixed with these people for a while. They were a little bit closeted in their own little religious Christian subculture. It's all about two 
at the end of it, it's a little bit selfish. He's doing all these things, the older brother, because he thinks he's going to get something out of it. He did all that and he got nothing. You've never given me anything. And I really deserve everything because look at how holy I have been. There's a self-righteousness coming through here. A self-righteousness that the Pharisees had and that is all too easy for us. I use that phrase in my own life and I use it quite a lot in worship and in prayers. God, may your grace, may we not abuse your grace. May we not abuse your grace to feed our own self-righteousness. But may we use your grace to feed the world's needs. May we not abuse your grace to feed our own self-righteousness. Was the elder son doing that a little bit? But may we use your grace to feed the world's needs. Now the younger son was in need. Was his grace used towards him? That's the last one. Keller would suggest, I don't know, it's worth a dissertation on this. This is the one parable we've said before that we don't go searching for what's lost. Who should have went searching for what's lost? Keller suggests the older son should have been out searching for his younger brother. But he was so closeted and righteous and holy and clean that he wasn't out involving himself with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Samaritan woman, etc. We're back to the Pharisees. They weren't out seeking the lost. Jesus was out seeking the lost. And I think Jesus has said to them here, you should have been out seeking for the lost here. So what about us? This is the thing that has pulled me back this week. I'm going to give my personal application. It's not me. um, I don't like talking about self much in sermons unless you're being confessional. And that's what I want to be here. Very, very quickly to end. A year ago this Sunday, this very day a year ago, I shared with you, having spoken at the Sinn Féin Ardash on Friday night, you were incredibly supportive during that time in all kinds of different ways. And you responded well when we came back, Father Martin and I, and many of you had read or listened to what we said. You might think we'd gone out among the lost. Maybe we had. We were preachers, and that's what we did. We talked about the grace of God at the Ardesh. And it was a difficult thing to do. We took a lot of advice. We weren't sure whether we should. But in the end, we did. Well, that's good. But here's the rub. Would I have went to the PUP conference or not? Would I have had your support? if we'd been invited to that. During the documentary, More Than a Flag, that was showed during Four Corners, but what I saw on the BBC when they showed this, it started off with a wee guy driving through East Belfast, and he was saying in a cafe then a minute or two later, 12th day is my favourite day of the year. I love the 12th day. I can't understand people that leave here on the 12th day. It's sure there's no better day than the 12th day. And I have to say, the controller was in my hand, and I thought... Same old, same old. I want you to get right away there who the same old, same old was. The older brother 
and started thinking in my head. But I listened on. There was a wee guy called Jason who they all came and spoke at the storm during Four Corners and it was, it was interesting. But Jason's the one, I think, who um, really pulled me in. Jason is um, uh, chatting to his, um, his budgie or his whatever bird it is that's speaking back to him or whistling, it seemed to me, a few good old uh, loyalist tunes. And he's sitting there and he looks at the camera and he says, if we put a uniform on and lift a flute, people think we're bad. And then there's this incredible sad poignancy in his eyes as he looks up, almost half embarrassed and says, but we're not when you get to know us. And the older brother is lurking inside me. Flag protesters again yesterday at the city hall when I was picking Jasmine up in the afternoon, remembering back to Drum Cree. Oh, we can go to Clonard Monastery and we can sit in at the carl service or a Taze. But what about these younger brothers? What about these younger brothers from the corner of Donegal Pass to the village? Unevangelized fields all down Donegal Pass, Sandy Road, Donegal Road. Very little church connection. Are they not in church because actually there were too many older brothers? Or is it because I was an older brother and I haven't gone looking for them the way I went looking for the Ardesh? And what about our building? Was the older brother, and this is reading into it, so civet, was the older brother saying, look, I've been working away in these fields. Did you see the barn we just built last week? And we've got that new combine harvester and, and we're doing all this new stuff because we've invested a lot of money here. And you're out there, down in there. Well, you know what they're like with their flags and you know what they're like with their flutes and you know that they raise the volume when they get past St. Patrick's. All I'm saying is that the Spirit has challenged and spoke deep into my life about where the elder brother might be and how I look at our loyalist community. And we, with our buildings here, we just need to be careful. We just need to be careful that we're not so closeted, that we're not so distracted, and that we're not so about being holy that we forget Jesus' call to follow him to reach out to the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your transforming stories that you give us in the scriptures. And we thank you for the depth and nuance of this particular story. And we pray that we would take it away and that we would think it through in our own lives and that your spirit would come and minister to us as we ask ourselves where we are, the younger brother still, or where we might be the older brother still, and keep us focused on the fact that the Father was reaching out to both the Pharisees and the sinners, loving them both the same. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as we gather around this table in a moment to come as younger brothers or older brothers and find your cleansing your forgiveness, and the opportunity to start again in the arms of our Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.